This episode of the Disney Film Project podcast is brought to you by touringplans.com. It is the one-stop shop on the internet for figuring out how you are going to plan your Disney vacation, Disneyland or Disney World, it doesn't matter. Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, you want to figure out how to get there and not wait in line? This is how you do it, touringplans.com. Disneyland, you're trying to figure out how to get out there and how to navigate all the cool new stuff like Cars Land and Buena Vista Street and all that great stuff without having to wait in line? Touringplans.com. You can optimize your touring plans, check the crowd calendar, do all kinds of great stuff. Make sure you check that out over at touringplans.com. They're the sponsor of this week's episode of the Disney Film Project Podcast. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project Podcast. This is the show where we talk about the films of the Walt Disney Company. Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilm, in theater, direct-to-video, Disney Channel, it doesn't matter. We talk about it all here on this program and over at DisneyFilmProject.com. I'm Ryan Kilpatrick, host of the program, and along with the folks you are about to meet, we host this show, and we run DisneyFilmProject.com, where you can find information about this show, the show notes for it, you can find Blu-ray and DVD reviews, and you can find all kinds of great content about the older shorts and things that came out from the Walt Disney Company back in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, so make sure you go over and check out all the great content there at DisneyFilmProject.com. Joining me, as always, we have our fine film experts. First of all, we have Mr. Todd Perlmutter, who, if he is ever impaled, I imagine has an evil uh, twin who will uh, come to wreak his revenge on the rest of us. No, you can't kill me that way. Oh, interesting. Okay. We'll, we'll have to get tips from Cheryl later. Uh, also joining us, of course, we have Miss Rachel Kolb of JustPressPlay.net. How are you, Rachel? I'm a little upset today at Disney about a certain movie musical that's coming out later this year, but perhaps those thoughts are better shared at another time. Yeah, um, I, I read an article about that, and I thought about you. <laughs> yep. My yeah. beloved Into the Woods. Yeah, we will, we will get to that. Uh, it, will, it will come about much, much later in the year. And, of course, our fine producer, Ms. Cheryl Perlmutter, who you can find at about.me slash CherylP3 or on Twitter at CherylP3. She keeps us in line and on time. How are you, Cheryl? I'm doing good. I don't know what Rachel's talking about. What happened to In the Woods? They're, they're oh, cutting some stuff. They're oh. cutting important stuff. Like, significant character stuff is getting chopped. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Something I'm sure we will discuss. Uh, on, on that on that show, uh, which is not as far away as we thought it might be, but we'll see. <laughs> All right, uh, so today we are discussing uh, the direct-to-video sequel to The Little Mermaid, The Little Mermaid 2, Return to the Sea. Uh, and, and really, we thought in order to do that, uh, we needed to get some help. So please welcome back to the show the co-founder, that's the title I'm going to give her, of the Disney Film Project podcast, the one and only Miss Brianna Alessio. How are you, Bree? Hi, I'm doing fantastic. It feels so good to be back. It does it though, because you had to watch The Little Mermaid too. I mean, we're pleasant and all, but oh, it's it's worth it. I would sit through Snow Buddies for you guys. Wow, that's devotion. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> 
all the Beverly Hills Chihuahua films, you know. I do it all for you guys. That's um, that's a little masochistic, actually. Now we've kind of ventured past past uh, devotion. Uh, all right, but welcome back. It, it is a joy to to have you back. Thank you. It's it feels very joyous to be back. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Of course, of course, anytime. All right, so we are talking about The Little Mermaid 2, uh, released in 2000, 11 years after the original. Uh, this, again, a direct-to-video sequel. It is in the Little Mermaid quote-unquote trilogy, because there were two direct-to-video sequels. This is the third in the chronology, but the first one released. Um, there's a prequel that comes later, uh, Ariel's Beginning, that I'm sure we will get to at some point, because we are... I don't know. We, we, we hate ourselves, I guess. I don't know. Um, because we're a Disney <laughs> film project. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so this one, this one takes place uh, 10 years after the original film, and we have Ariel's daughter as the, the main character in this one, uh, battling the forces of the aforementioned evil twin Morgana, who uh, is the evil twin of Ursula. Or younger sister or something. I don't know. I, I'm not sure if she's the twin or not. But Relation. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and, and I'm going to say something controversial here. Yeah. As a direct-to-video number two sequel, not so bad. I agree. Uh-huh. That is true. Yeah, it's, as, what did I call them earlier today? Was the terrible twos? Yes. Right. Which I think, I think is a good, good way to look at it. Yeah. Um, but you're right. I mean, this one's actually livable. Uh, Ariel's beginning, I will say up front, is not as good, though it has it has some interesting musical scenes in it compared to this one, which has good music but doesn't have like real good like music scenes as this at the same level. It's kind of hard to explain. Yeah, so. I don't know if I would go with good music on this one, but we'll, yeah, we'll no, 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 no. <laughs> I wouldn't either. <laughs> Let me let me put it this way. I I was watching My Little Pony Friendship is Magic, the finale <laughs> to season 2. It had a better music like the music in that episode, I would say was I I enjoyed significantly more than than Little Mermaid 2. Well, well Tara Strong who is a My Little Pony is in this. Yes. Yes she is. <laughs> there you go. I was, I was excited to see her in the credits uh for the voice cast. Yes. She's also like in a really like a super voice actor right because she's by the way she's uh one of one of the avengers references from the voice actors right because she was scarlet witch she was squirrel girl which is uh, really her most important role yes well the best avenger ever right and uh she was also mary jane watson okay she has also voiced husk and skids and magic who are all x-men wow so there you go so, so my question to you, Bree, yeah. uh, as 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 our special guest, uh, when, when did you first see this? Is this like one of your favorites? I know The Little Mermaid is your favorite film. Yeah, The Little Mermaid is my absolute favorite um, Disney animated film. This one is not. I must going to remind you all of something, except for Rachel, because she wasn't here. Hunchback Two. There we go. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. I agree. Um, yeah, I, I saw this for the first time, I think, shortly after it came out. I think um, I rented it at Video Treats or Blockbuster on VHS back in the day. 
And, um, you know, I think probably at that time, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I remembered watching it. I actually watched it earlier today. I remembered a lot of the scenes, seeing them for the first time. And I see it now, of course, being older very differently. Um, and you can see how drastic, how drastically different the quality is. Yeah. Than, than the first one. Um, yeah. 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 It, it, it's definitely uh, it's definitely a step down from from the the first film. No no doubt about it. Yeah, the animation was really distracting to me in this movie. It was distorted yeah. at times, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And it didn't look consistent. What and what I mean by that is it looked like there might have actually been like two completely different sets of animation pieced together. Yeah. Well, the, if you if you read the credits, there were three different locations working on the film. So there was there was like oh. there was one uh, I can't remember them all, but there were three different studios working on the film. So that's probably reason why it's a little inconsistent. Well, all I can say is ten years and Prince Eric's head got abnormally large. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that. I did not know what was going on there. <laughs> also, I think. I think that Prince Eric talks more in this movie than he does in the original. I might be wrong about that, but he seems to have a lot more lines. Yeah, and he really shouldn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> he, he just needs to stand there and look pretty, is what you're saying? That's exactly what I was going to follow up with, yes. He yeah. Just, he's just arm candy? Yes, yeah. he's, he's the manic pixie dream man. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. He... He may talk more because of who is voicing him, right? Because this is Rob Paulson, who's one of those guys who's just noted for talking a lot in his roles. So he was Pinky from Pinky and the Brain. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. He also, he also uh, remember uh, the recent Lego Star Wars game had a cameo by George Lucas? Yes. He's the voice of George Lucas in that. Ah, uh, very good. Nice. I, I will say, speaking of the voice cast... I, the one thing I do appreciate is, unlike some of the other number twos that we have seen, uh, they did bring back the vast majority of the original voice cast, and I think that does make a big difference. It makes it feel less of a knockoff, even though it is. Exactly, yeah. I, I like that they brought Pat Carroll back for Morgana, even though, and she, she even to me, she changed her voice a little to, to not make it exactly like Ursula. It did sound a little different, like the pitch. Right. Um, but yeah, voice cast. Pretty and, happy in general. And Todd, you said she recently came to Disney World, right? Yes, she was just in Disney World. And in fact, she, um, if I know I was there with Brianna, remember the lamp with all the uh, Little Mermaid pictures on it in Out of Animation? Yeah. Right? She just went and signed the Ursula picture like only like a few weeks ago. Oh, wow. Oh. I remember seeing this on uh, on the social media. Yes, I tweeted it. Yes, that's awesome. The one the one thing I have to say that is disappointing about the fact that they did bring back the original voice cast is that this ended up being Buddy Hackett's last film. Yeah. Which is sad that he didn't get to do more films, but also sad that like that's the last film in his filmography. Yeah, I, I actually wish that Scuttle had had more lines in this film than Eric. <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to keep beating that up, aren't you? Sorry, I'll leave it alone now. I no, 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 go ahead. It's fun. 
<laughs> yes. Would you would you say though that this is as big of a drop off in quality as uh, Orson Welles' his last film? Anyone familiar with this? What his last uh, what his last film was? No. Um, Transformers. Oh, like the yes. the, the, oh wait, the, the animated, animated right? live action. The animated. That was that was his, wasn't that his last film? It might have been. Yeah, it might have been. Yes, I'm getting a confirmation from the husband who's yelling from the other room. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. But but I would say Transformers is better than this. However, Citizen Kane yes. is a far it's farther way to fall. It's an interesting debate. We we, yes. we we'll need charts and graphs for that. Citizen Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> Transformers. Oh, with a subtitle of Rosebud. <laughs> that's, the newest, that's the newest Transformer. In I was going to say, I was going to say um, that that suggestion is trademarked. Uh, Disney Film Project podcast, Paramount. Give us a call. <laughs> All right, but yeah, it, I I'm with you, Bree. Like it, I was watching this. Um, I had to watch it in transit, uh, so like bits and pieces through the airport or um, uh, on a plane or whatever, and. I was sitting there thinking, my eight-year-old daughter, or soon-to-be eight-year-old daughter, will love this, but my anyone teenage years and up is probably going to go, no. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, when this came, it came out in 2000? Yeah. I mean, I was 11, so I was still, I hadn't hit the teenager mark yet, so I, you know, at that point I was completely in love with it. But then shortly after when I watched it again, and I said, oh, okay, yeah, no, stick with the first one. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so let, let's talk about the film, because it's it's a rather simple and derivative plot, to say the least. Um, did anybody else, um, having seen Maleficent recently, get deja vu? Because Because the plot is basically Ariel and Eric... Um, it, the, the film opens with a song, uh, down to the sea, uh, and they're taking their daughter out to sea as a baby to present her to King Triton. So basically they're having a party with the baby and then the evil witch shows up. Oh, I didn't even think about that. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) And she says she's going to kill the baby. Like. She's not specific. That's the, I think that's really the downfall of Morgana's plan. She's just not specific enough. Also, Morgana, Morgana doesn't have no powers. Or her powers. Yeah. I mean, because as we find out later, she she bottled. <laughs> she bottled her sister's her powers. <laughs> that was something. I didn't understand that at all at the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how that worked, but I have a feeling it's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's the opening of the film is this this down to the sea song about them sail, you know, Ariel and Eric uh, sailing out to sea uh, to meet King Triton, who's all smitten with his granddaughter, as any good grandfather would be, and gives her a magic locket in the shape of a clamshell to show basically so that she won't forget about her heritage as uh, I don't know, what would she be princess of the merfolk at this point? Yeah, Grand Princess or something. Grand Princess or some, something like that. But, but I just want to say, you say magic locket, I wrote holographic pendants. 
<laughs> Wait, okay, so so if she's technically a princess of the sea and also a princess of the land, does that make her the only double princess of the Disney canon? Well, um, if, if Alden and Anna are also because they are princesses of the land and princesses of snow, I guess. <laughs> if you want to count snow in, as a method of transportation. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I assume snow is the method. See, there's two of them, so you divide the tub in half. And the yeah, there you go. One. So she's still stronger. See, there you go. Well, if she's a double princess, I think Triton does two rainbows, so there's double rainbow and double princess. And she does a rainbow at the end of the My end. <laughs> so, see, there are redeeming qualities about this. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so he gives her this magic locket so she'll remember, you know, who she is and this sort of a thing. And that's when the evil Morgana, again, like we said, voiced by Pat Carroll, shows up. She's a skinny version of Ursula is basically what we've got here. Uh, there's not really much difference between the two of them other than sure. she's skinny. And, sure she has she has... and she has less powers. <laughs> I, I you, I'm sure she had said that uh, Ursula was fed more by her mom. Yes. yes. <laughs> that's, that's that's the kind of stuff she's talking the whole movie. So. Yeah, that's her whole thing. We find out later is you know she always lived in Ursula's shadow, which would be easy to do. I'm just saying. <laughs> you went there. That's why. That's why. That's why she throws what looks like ninja stars at Ursula's picture on the seawall. Yeah. I actually like that. I thought that was cool. Yeah. I mean that was good. That was some good hang time for underwater too. Right. <laughs> yep. Yes, and, and so she comes and steals the baby as a way to get uh, the trident, which apparently is is the thing to have in 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 the Little Mermaid. Right. You want King Triton's trident to give you power over the sea, and as Cheryl mentioned, she doesn't have any, so she tries to get the trident, manages to trade the baby for the trident, but Ariel and Eric uh, work. And, and basically foil the plan with Eric doing the steer the ship into the sea witch thing again. Which I feel like he should have a new move by now. <laughs> yeah, he has to work on his, uh, on his move a little. Um, I have to ask you guys, did you notice, it, to me it felt like a nod to the Wizard of Oz, when Morgana was, was swimming away and she said something um, to the effect of, I'll find you and your precious granddaughter, very similar to the Wicked Witches, I'll get you and your little dog too. Uh, you're right, she does say something like that. Yeah. yeah. It just reminded me of it. Huh. I don't know if that's what they were going for, or I don't know, it was just an observation, but. I, I have a feeling they were going for get this out quickly. <laughs> <laughs> you're probably yeah. That would be that would be my guess. Move this plot along. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the whole thing is an hour and fifteen minutes, and there's probably what um, there's there's like six songs, but each of the songs is only like a couple minutes long. Except for the tip and dash one, which is clearly like twelve minutes longer. Right. <laughs> it's so long. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like the the whole. You know the music. I think the the soundtrack's like twenty five minutes long, but the, the, the that's, that's that includes stuff that's not actually in the movie. So I mean, twenty minutes of the seventy five minutes is songs with montages. So there's not a whole lot of stuff that happens yeah, in the it movie. Still feels drawn out at times, though. It does. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. 
But yeah, so they, they managed to foil Morgana, uh, get the locket back, and so Ariel, being being the wise woman that she is, uh, decides that Melody, can, her daughter, cannot know anything about the ocean because Morgana's in the ocean. Now, now I want to ask a rational, logical question here. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so the ocean covers, what, 75% of the Earth? <laughs> Roughly. Okay. The land is the other 25%? I would assume. Right. Um, Morgana is in the 75%? We think. Right? <laughs> so they tell they, they basically wall off Melody in the smaller portion so that Morgana knows exactly where she is. Also note that she ends up in the Arctic, so she's not even, like, anywhere near them. Right. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> I don't feel like they thought this through is what I'm saying. I think Ariel made a rash decision. Sort of, again, it's very much like King Stefan and burning all the spindles and sending her to live with fairies in the woods. But Ryan, walls always work. Walls never fail at what they're trying to do. I mean, just ask Belfast or anyone that lives in that town from Attack on Titan. It's walls true. never fail you. Hey, good good fences make good neighbors, right? <laughs> I, I just don't think Ariel made like rational thought here, because I don't think it was the case of if Melody got into the ocean, Morgana was going to find her. I think Morgana was pretty incompetent. <laughs> yeah. No, no, she never. Morgana never thought to. I don't know. Look at Ariel's castle. Right. <laughs> she had to wait until she found the locket, touched it, and then the magic alarm went off. Yeah, I, I think I think what we, what we found is like Morgana's lazy, is what I'm saying. Technically, so is Ariel because instead of building a wall, she should have just moved inland. Right. <laughs> or or something. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, then then Melody could have you know they could have lived near a lake. Melody could have talked to the fish there. Yeah, yeah it could have been. It, it would have been fine. But yes, uh, King Triton sends Sebastian to watch over her. Stop me if you've heard this one before. Nope. But yeah. Obviously, he knows that Sebastian does not do a good job at babysitting. So why right. would you think? Why would you think he would be able to keep an eye on Melody? This was exactly my thought. Is like. Wait, this didn't work out so well the last time you tried this. Exactly. Sending Sebastian to take care of, of your beloved daughter and now granddaughter. This this isn't working out. This is a bad plan, King Triton. But yeah. he doesn't actually know that it didn't work out the last time. He right? doesn't? No, because Sebastian kind of hid it all from him, right? And then he just shows up and fights, and they fight with Ursula at the end. That's right. Triton's not there for much of the movie. Right, because he does what he does in this movie. He's there at the beginning, and he's kind of there at the end, although he has this little middle scene in this one, right? But in the original Little Mermaid, that's it, right? The beginning and the end. Okay. Right? All right. So he's gone for much of Sebastian's bumbling in the first movie, is what I'm saying. All right. Well, I, I will give you that. I just still think that bad planning and um, not thinking things through runs in the family. <laughs> In the crustacean family? 
in the in the <laughs> Triton aerial bloodline. It doesn't, you know. In, in the Murph family. They make I'm, rash decisions, but you know what? They're the ones with the Tritons. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, so cut to 12 years later. And Melody is, you know, doesn't doesn't know what's what the story is. She doesn't know anything about it, but uh, she likes to go out and swim in the sea. And for twelve years, nobody's picked up on this fact. <laughs> Not just that. I was thinking about what what Rachel said about you know built walls always keep people out. They put big holes in the wall. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so she she's out swimming all the time, and Sebastian, who's supposed to be watching over her, uh, doesn't figure this out until 12 years later when he sees her out swimming. And the other thing uh, that I have to say is that Melody should enter the Olympic swim team because she apparently has no need to breathe when she's human. Yes, yes, thank you. I- <laughs> This was my note during this section of it. Does she not need to breathe? Yeah, the the consistency of this film is very poor. Especially, well, I I don't want to jump the gun, but, you know, toward the end when we reach that scene, all of a sudden, then, oh, she can't breathe anymore underwater. Right. She runs out of air. At the end of the movie, she runs out of air in about 30 seconds. At the beginning of the movie, she's swimming underwater for about five straight minutes to find a locket. Yeah, exactly. Which, by the way, is not possible. That's a whole other thing. No. <laughs> but yeah, see, so she, they threw the locket uh, back into the ocean, which I'm thinking, again, bad decision making. If you don't want her to have it, you have the man with the trident, just destroy it. Uh, but they didn't do that. They threw it into the ocean, into a little hole. Uh, Melody swims around for approximately three and a half days underwater and finds it and pulls it up and it has her name on it, which, again... Maybe rub that off. I don't know. I'm just saying this. they didn't think this through very well. And so she takes it back into the castle and shows it to her mother, Ariel. This was the other problem I had with this movie. I don't want to see Ariel mom. I don't either. I don't feel like that was something the world was crying out for. No, because she still looks like she's 14. <laughs> Well, they give her they give her mom hair when she's a human, but later on in the movie when they turn her back to a mermaid, yes, she looks exactly the same as she did before when she was like a teenager. I I will say though, aged Ariel is not nearly as disturbing as aged flounder. Right? Yes. <laughs> that bothered me so badly. Even his voice. Although his voice is although Todd and I okay, this is what happened after the movie, folks. We don't debate the movie. We debate which one of the voice actors is the best reference for the podcast. <laughs> and I was with the voice of Flounder because he also did um, Doc Sampson and he done Star Wars The Clone Wars. Oh, there's the connection. There you go. And by, I know Todd also had found other act, voice actors. Oh, yeah, so uh, I thought, just for the record, that a better Star Wars and um, and Avengers reference was the guy playing Undertow, who is Clancy Brown. Okay. Yes. <laughs> because 
first of all, he was Savage Press in Clone Wars. Okay. He also uh, voices the Red Hulk and um, Odin. <laughs> I also wanted to say he was also Santa in Phineas and Ferb in the, in the Christmas special. Yes, he was. Which is because an awesome, awesome Christmas special. Agreed. Yep. Very cool. But, yeah, his, uh, his voice in this film... Um, I, I feel like he had a cold the whole time. No, just me. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he definitely sounded like he was uh, congested most of, of the film. <laughs> 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 it, it was it was very bothersome. I mean, I'm sure the the voice actor he's he's wonderful. I mean, I'm not too familiar with Clone Wars, um, but um, yeah, I'm sure he's fantastic with, with other animated roles. But this one, it just did not go together for me. Yeah. Only not for the Clone Wars because Ray Park was not in it. <laughs> that's that's right. It's <laughs> a valid point. That is. <laughs> but yeah, so so Melody confronts her mother with her with her old lady hair, and her mother won't tell her anything. Like that's weird that you found a locket with your name on it, daughter of mine who doesn't know anything about the ocean. Yeah. She, uh, Ariel's not a good liar is what I'm saying. No. And can I just mention, please, how frustrating it is <laughs> that they raised Melody talking, knowing that the, all these animals and sea creatures can talk, and yet they don't teach her about the, her mermaid background. Like, that's so far-fetched? Yeah, so... I, I'm with you on that one, Bree. Like she's there. They don't let on that she can talk to a crab. Like like that would that's normal. But yet when they go to do the birthday party for her, her twelfth birthday party, and they get her all dressed up and everything, and then Sebastian gets tied up in her bow on her dress and causes a scene at the party. Like the fact that no none of the other humans can talk to the crab and hear what the crab is saying. Is totally cool. No, it's not unusual at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. Also, all the kids in that scene are awful. Yes, <laughs> they are. They're terrible. But you know, I will say the young boy who asked her to dance looks an awful lot like a miniature John Smith from Pocahontas. <laughs> he does kind of. You're right. We're going for Ariel three with that one. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe I don't know. It's uh, those children are terrible, and then the mermaid children are nice. It's it's they're very much pushing the fact that she should be a mermaid at this point in the film, uh, and so she hops in a boat, a rowboat, and apparently is going to row her way to the Arctic. Now I don't know where they are. I assume somewhere in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> What's the problem? I, I just don't think... Again, I think the bloodline has a problem with thinking through the plan because she just hops in a rowboat with, far as I can tell, no food, no supplies, and she's just going to go out to sea. You know what it is, Ryan? It's yes. all very fishy. Wow, wow. you went there. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm giving the, that pun a slow clap on this end. I don't think you'll hear it, but... <laughs> if I could see the crickets chirping uh, background noise, I would do that too. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I wasn't going for enjoyment. That was just... It had to be said. Someone had to make that joke. It's true. Yeah. Someone had to do it, and you fell on that bomb, and I appreciate it. Also, how cold would the water be for her once she's actually out and swimming? One would assume rather chilly. Why Why are any mermaids li- living at in Antarctica? This, I did not understand this at all. Yeah, the geography doesn't play very well in this. It doesn't. But, so, to backtrack for a second, when she picked up the locket, like Todd said, that's when Morgana all of a sudden woke up from 12 years of taking a nap uh, with her little buddy. We didn't mention Undertow, the giant shark that gets turned by a King Triton into a little tiny, like, piranha-looking thing. Yeah. So, they've apparently just been hanging out in the Arctic for 12 years, um, like, catching up on Netflix or something. I don't know what they were doing. (laughs) <laughs> trying to fix trying to fix Undertow there, because he had turned into, like, a piranha. I don't think she was trying that hard to fix him. Well, okay, if if all, if Ariel and all of her family make brash decisions, I would say that Ursula's family plays the long, dumb game. Like, it's uh, the long <laughs> game, but it's not thought out at all. <laughs> no. Not, not in the least. Uh, but yes, Undertow. So, Todd may be the only person who gets this. Did anybody else get reminded of Undertow when he shows up at the very beginning, get reminded of Jabberjaw? <laughs> he was very big in Jabberjaw, but only purple with stripes. Yeah. Also, where does a purple with stripes shark come from? Tiger sharks don't actually have tiger stripes. Um... Because I got nothing. I, I, I was going to try, but I don't have anything. But yeah, so once she, once Melody had picked up the locket, um, Undertow and Morgana now know where she is. So when she starts rowing out to sea, uh, Morgana sends her two manta rays, Cloak and Dagger, which I thought at least that was a pretty cool name for the manta rays. I have to give them credit for that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, my only problem with it was they showed up like in four scenes before this until they finally got names. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a little unfortunate. They could have played that out longer. That that did uh, fail rather epically. Uh, yes, so they they go and grab Melody and drag her to the Arctic, uh, still in her little waistcoat and capri pants. So I'm thinking like. I'm having flashbacks to the beginning of Pirates of the Caribbean 3 where people are freezing to death on the boat and I'm guessing like Morgana is just protecting her. I don't know what's going on there. She should be much colder. She should be. So Morgana though tells tells Melody a little fib saying that um that she can help her uh and temporarily transforms her into a mermaid. Which Melody all of a sudden realizes, like, oh, that's what she's supposed to be, is a mermaid. Which is sort of true. (laughs) She's supposed to be, like, part mermaid, in some way. Uh, 
but she, you know, she's swimming around and she's all happy and, you know, splashing and singing songs and, and all this kind of stuff. And unfortunately, Morgana says, well, you can't remain a mermaid. Uh, I, I don't have enough power to, to do that uh, unless you go get this trident for me that was stolen by this horrible bad man. And now, for me, watching this, the fact that the person telling me that the horrible bad person is this, you know, broad-chested gentleman with white hair, and the person I'm talking to is this emaciated octopus who's very who's wearing all in black, that would cause me to be suspicious. Well, Ryan, you can't judge a book by its cover. You never know. In this in this movie, I think you can. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe maybe she, maybe she just needed a like a twirly mustache on on top of everything. Ah, and, yes, that might have worked. Or a bowler yep. hat. <laughs> yes, bowler hat. Bowler hat would have done it. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's that's the idea. Is if she can get the trident back from King Triton, then bring it to Morgana. Then Morgana will make her transformation into a mermaid permanent again. Melody not thinking the plan through all that well. Uh, so she goes off to do so. And here's where we get introduced to our adventurers or would-be adventurers, Tip and Dash. Tip, a penguin, Dash, a walrus, who are not good adventurers and, in fact, break things um, when they're trying to rescue another penguin from a shark. Um, and they meet Melody and hilarity ensues I, I i really don't know like there's really no connection between these 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 people and yet they end up traveling together yeah hmm. i love dash but tip i just uh, he just reminds me of that character in, in the typical animated film that you just roll your eyes at constantly <laughs> i like yeah, the idea of them better than the actual them this yeah. is another case of them just trying to do the Taman and Pumbaa type characters, but not really getting yes. it right. Exactly. Yeah, I, I agree with Ryan. The concept of the two characters is good, better than the two characters actually play off. Yeah, because when they show up and they're they're like singing their little or not singing their song, because as you mentioned, Todd, that made me want to shoot myself. But when they're actually showing up and it kind of explaining who they are and like they're adventurers, I was like, oh, this could be cool, and and then it wasn't. <laughs> but they do manage to so so they go so the geography of this works out somehow that. Uh, Melody goes from, I'm assuming somewhere in Europe, uh, where, where the castle is, to the Arctic, and then she's going back to Europe with the, to look for Atlantica, which I don't understand why it wasn't Atlantis, but, you know. And so she ends up going to steal the trident. Meanwhile, back at the Ponderosa, Ariel has you know, asked King Triton to help her find Melanie because she knows she's going out to sea. And Eric talks, which, as Bree has noted, is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he comes up with the idea that Ariel has to go in the water, too, because King Triton has every merperson in the water looking for her, 
but that's clearly not enough. Ariel needs to go too, and apparently be de-aged about 20 years as well. Yep. I, I think they took the model sheets from the original film and just handed it to the Japanese animators or French animators or whomever they were using and just said, here's what she'll look like when she turns into a mermaid. Yeah. I don't think I don't think they created new models. Well, that would mean that they would have to make something new for this movie, which they already have the plot from the first one, just, you know, in reverse. Um, right. And, I mean, like, I, they even have a song that's called Down to the Sea instead of Under the Sea. So, I mean, like, they have, they have, to, be, they have to be careful about how much creativity and newness they put into the sequel. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, as I, as I mentioned, they did at least layer in the Sleeping Beauty plot. Or at least the first part of it. I, no, I guess that's true. That was that was new, in a way that's completely original. <laughs> it's it's new in that we took it from another franchise, I guess animated franchise. Right now that there's Sleeping Beauty and Maleficent, so yeah. I guess that technically makes it a franchise. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're going to do a live action Little Mermaid film too, so you know. We'll see how we'll see how that goes. Uh. Yeah, I, I'm not looking forward to it, but, you know, it's, that's what we do these days. Uh, yes, yeah, so, and then there's a plot point that gets explained because Ariel goes back under the sea and she's, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. But there's a plot point as Melody goes into Atlantica. All the children there are very nice to her. Uh, but something that wasn't explained beforehand is that only a member of King Triton's bloodline can lift the trident from its little shell casing thing. You missed that. I, I don't know why it was important to have that. Because that, that's meant that the Morgana character couldn't have stolen it. Here's my right. problem, though. They leave it in the room. Nobody is there anyway, Right. Yes. So, so I guess if they didn't say that, then you would be asking, well, then why didn't anyone just stroll in when nobody was in the big room and the trident was there all by itself? I was kind of asking that anyway, because they didn't tell me that to begin with. But it's also like, you know, it seems unnecessary. Like, it's in, it's in his castle, so you would think it's safe, unless you're a merperson. And if you're a mer person, then, you know, King Triton can find you or whatever, apparently. But, again, like, Morgana took it from him at the beginning of the movie, or Ursula took it from him in the last movie. It's not like he holds on to this thing very well. Ryan, you made Triton sound like Liam Neeson. If you're a mer person, he will find you. Well, he does have a particular <laughs> set of skills. He does. I was just imagining Triton dressed up like Qui-Gon Jinn. Sorry. Anyway... Ah <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. But yeah, so so she so Melody manages to get the trident uh, with the help of Tip and Dash, mainly because they hide under a table. That's their main help, um, and distract Triton, and uh, they get away. Mel, so Ariel shows up right after she's taken the trident, uh, and they figure out well, it has to have been Melody who took it because. Only a person from the bloodline could do it. I guess that's the other reason why to put it in there, right? Because it's the only way they could figure out that it was her who took it. Yep. Uh, other than the fact that she dropped her locket. Yeah, other than the fact, yeah, exactly, that it's sitting right there. 
I'm proud of them for figuring out that it was that melody. It's true. It's true, because as we've mentioned, cognitive reasoning has not been their strong suit. Yeah. Um, so far. But they fi- I guess that, ad- that adds to another uh, family trait for uh, Ariel and Triton and everyone. They're really bad at losing things. It's true. Yeah, they really are. Yeah, they don't. Um, yeah, they don't hang on to stuff very well. Yeah, and I feel like as they've gotten old, as they have gotten older in this film, it, it's just become worse. Yeah, they're kind of like the opposite of Hufflepuffs. They're really terrible at losing things. Mm, yeah, Is that that's, a good, that's a good analogy. Yep, Hufflepuffs okay. can find them, and well. All that Ariel and Triton can do is lose stuff. So there you go. Yeah. So from there, you know, uh, Melody takes the Trident back to Morgana, swims, you know, eight thousand miles up to the Arctic again, and Tip and Dash are following her. And as soon as Undertow's fin shows up, uh, they disappear, uh, becoming once again useless. And right as Melody is about to give the trident to Morgana uh, is when Ariel shows up as a mermaid, which is awkward. With the whole, I didn't tell my daughter I was a mermaid thing. Yeah. I feel like that's something you want to approach, like, maybe over dinner or coffee. (laughs) Yeah, like one of those, Mom, I have to talk to you about something kind of. Right. Yeah. When you're dealing with an evil witch who wants to take over the world, probably not the best time for that conversation. No. A little late to the draw. Yeah, yeah. Um, Because the end result being is that Melody gives the trident to the evil witch, um, and and that doesn't work out so well. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, she gives she gives the trident to to Morgana, uh, and then that basically kicks off the the final part of the film, which is I I, I guess it's you would just call it Morgana being mean because she doesn't really do anything that evil. She's just sort of mean to everybody. Like she makes them all bow to her, and that's about it. That's really all she does. She's not very creative. No. Well, again, like neither is Eric. He tries to steer the ship into her thing again. <laughs> yeah. Big wheel in my hands. Yeah, I mean, like it's his only move. <laughs> <laughs> I would hate to dance with him. Is what I'm saying here, because I have a feeling he would just, you know, spin, spin, dip, and that's all he's got. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty much a Loki moment. She now has the world, and she doesn't really know what to do with it. Yeah, way too much power. Yes. Yeah, so she makes everybody bow to her. She turns Undertow back into a shark, back into Jabberjaw. (laughs) That's really all she does. And she sort of says she's going to be the ruler of the ocean, and I, well, she builds herself a little palace out of ice, which I, I wonder if that was the inspiration for Elsa right there. <laughs> I hope not. 
Well, at least they got it right, you know, when they did it with Elsa. True. True, yeah. Had to, had to take a, a few tries and a few years in between, but they did the work. Right. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So they, she builds herself a palace out of ice. Uh, Melody, and so the, the whole thing is Melody has, she has encased her at the, at the, at, at the bottom of the ocean. Um, she, like, made an ice barrier, and Melody's underwater as a mermaid, and then the mermaid thing wears off. And so, um, like we mentioned earlier, Melody can no longer breathe underwater. Unlike she could at the beginning, even when she wasn't a mermaid. But Tip and Dash come and save her, um, thereby proving that they do have a purpose in the movie. Um, Because before then, they'd pretty much just run away like the knights in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't actually scream run away, which would have been better, but that's all they did. Uh, but they save her, and then the whole key is, because she's human, um, Morgana has dominion over all the people who are merfolk, um, and she manages to brush Eric aside, but Melody kind of sneaks up behind her, climbing up her little ice capade, or whatever you want to call it, and uh, grabs the trident and throws it to her grandfather uh, to save the day. I gotta say, she can climb really well on ice. Yes. <laughs> Like, shockingly well for, you know, someone that's just, yeah, doesn't have, like, climbing gear or anything. Just whoop, whoop, whoop. Well, and she seems to know where the growing ice is going to go, too. Because remember that one time she just grabs onto the ice and it just kind of grows up and puts her right where she needs to be. Maybe she has some some form of, like, spidey senses or something. (laughs) (laughs) For climbing. You're right, she is uh, magical in that way. But yeah, King Triton gets the the trident back, puts Morgana in a block of ice, and and sinks it to the bottom of the ocean, and uh, everybody goes home happy. He, you know, now that he's been revealed to Melody, he he asks her, you know, do you want to be a mermaid, or do you want to be a human? Uh, And she doesn't actually answer the question. She instead uh, disintegrates the wall between the castle and the ocean, which I guess in theory means that there she gets both worlds. But uh, again, like I don't see how she's going to go down to Atlantica that way. Yeah, no, she, she's and, a teenager. She wants everyone to come to her. That's a good point. <laughs> it, it was also a little frustrating that Triton put Morgana in the ice like who's who's to say that nothing is going to break it and free her and start this all over again like the Avengers could find her like Captain America exactly (laughs) no frozen in ice right next to uh, good old Cap yeah yeah. that's true yeah very cool Literally. Cool. Yeah, that's uh, and that's the end of the movie. Then we sing a big, long song about how we're all here on the land and the sea. Uh, that's not good. And that's that's how the movie ends. I think it, it, the, the actual running time, the, it's, it's a 75-minute movie, but I think the, the film, it has seven minutes of credits or so, I think. Um, so it's actually an it's hour, eight minutes. There's songs in the credits. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. See, okay. This is where you're all going to disagree with me <laughs> on something. Um, the music was my favorite part of the film. And Here on the Land and Sea has been one of my favorite Disney songs since that the film came out. Um, I don't know why. I really cannot explain it. But anytime I put this song on, I immediately become happy. I can see that. <laughs> I can see it. I don't like it myself, but I can see it. Yeah. It, I don't know what it is, but like, if I am not in a good mood at all, I just have to put this on and immediately be transformed to a happy place. Yeah. I don't know. I can't explain it. It's okay. Everybody likes uh, different things. You'll recall the uh, Country Bear uh, episode. Oh, I recall it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So yeah, that, that's uh, that's the Little Mermaid two Return to the Sea. It's been released on DVD about seven thousand times, I think. I think it was recently done. I could, could on Blu-ray, right? Did you get the Blu-ray treatment? I don't. I don't know if it has yet. Or did they put that one and uh, Ariel's? beginning out together maybe they might have yeah they're on the same blu-ray there you go um and it had three previous dvd releases that uh, apparently is fairly popular again i'm thinking because of exactly what what brie and i talked about the the younger girls like my my eight-year-old daughter will eat this up i mean this is she will love this uh but as you could probably tell most of us who are over the age of 12 are probably not fans. Uh, neither were critics, by the way. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, it does not have a good number. Yeah, I think it's... Yeah, 33%. Yep. Yeah, it didn't do well. No, not at all. Not in the least. Um, but I imagine it was very successful for Disney, I, I would assume. I mean, I don't have sales numbers, but, you know, they did make another one, so I would assume they, they did very well. It is interesting. I have to say, to in 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 watching this, uh, I'm actually reading an, a book about um, the new new normal of Hollywood and everything, and how like it, if this were another studio like these days, and they had a hit like Little Mermaid, like DreamWorks, for example, uh, this would have been a theatrical release. I mean, that's kind of the way movies work these days. I mean, look at how many Ice Ages there have been, how many Shreks there have been. Uh, you know, Rio two, that sort of a thing. Plains you know, when you, rescue. <laughs> that, well, yeah. Yep. I mean, that's that's the way uh, Hollywood works these days. Because um, even if a film doesn't make as much domestic, the the way international markets are, international markets like eat these kinds of movies up. They, you know, each of the Ice Age films, each of the Shrek films have made more internationally than they've made than the last one did. So, but, uh, I guess we were. Also, what they're doing these days is something that we learned um, during um, Fire and Rescue is that they're doing two movies at once. So oh, thus, yeah. thus they are saving themselves money. <laughs> well, and I imagine the Planes movies are not as expensive to make. Like, you know, like a, a Pixar film generally costs like $150, $200 million to make. I can't imagine the Planes films are co- costing quite that much. Okay. Just a guess. Don't know. Just a guess. All right, so anybody have anything else to add on uh, Little Mermaid 2 before we, we rate this? 
Yay, Tara Strong. Watch My Little <laughs> Pony instead. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Todd, how about, how about you take the first stab at this? Um, it's not terrible, but it's not stellar either. I mean, it's just very, I, I guess Bree said it best in the beginning, it's very kid-oriented. By comparison to Little Mermaid, which really has a lot for adults, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I don't dislike it. I mean, it's like the third time I think I've seen it because I I watched it originally, like you know, years ago, and then when I got the Blu-ray in the fall, um, I watched it again, and now I watched it the other night. So, um, I don't know. For me, it's I don't know. I want to. I don't want to go quite with a two, but I think one and a half is too low, so I'm gonna go one point seven five. All right. I am. Uh, I'm gonna be right there with you. I would give it. I, I would actually give it a two. It was. It was enjoyable enough that it kept my attention. Um, you know, all the way through, which I can't say for some of the other number twos. Um, I'm looking at you, Hunchback. You know, it. It, it, it was. Okay, and as someone who's had to watch a lot of movies with my eight-year-old daughter, um, this wouldn't have been the worst one. Uh, but it, like you said, I don't recommend it for people over the age of 12. Uh, Cheryl, what about you? How do you think this one came out? Um, I also want to go with the two, two and a quarter, I think. I'm going to go a little bit higher than you guys. Because I really think of the twos that are out there, this is one of the better ones out there. And I can say, like, Jungle Book 2, which we haven't even talked about. Um, oh, wow. Pocahontas 2, we also haven't talked about that one. <laughs> There's a lot wow. more twos out there, guys. Um, so, so I just don't want to... I think they did this one fine. I think, it, I think they're smart. I think it's long enough to catch, keep the kids' attention. And then, and then you know, why are you making lunch or something like that? You know, something. Yeah, you, you have to take a phone call, put the movie on. I, I really think that's what's for. I and I really think also that they had learned their lesson in marketing with this because we don't see like the manta ray toys, we don't see the tip right. and dash toys. So I, so I gotta say they did. I think they did a better job with us. All right, Rachel, what about you? Okay, I think I'm going to probably be the lowest one on this one. I'm giving this a one and a half. Um, The reason why I'm actually really kind of disappointed in this movie is looking at the voice cast before watching it, I kind of of set my hopes up a little bit because I was really excited the fact that they had so much of the cast returning and I thought, you know, maybe they're really putting, you know, something behind this. Um, But the thing is that it's like... Actors cost money, and good animation costs money. But stories and st- good storytelling, like, could have really saved this movie for me. Because I'm willing to overlook, you know, when it comes to sequels like this, I'm willing to overlook animation issues and stuff. But it's like you had the actors there. You ha- like you could have done something fun with this. Maybe not great or anything, but something at least I think better than what's here. So that's why I'm giving this a one and a half. All right. And our very special guest, uh, Miss Brianna Alessio, will let you have the last word on this one. All right. Um, 
to me, like a, a usual Disney sequel, it was incredibly stereotypical and cliche, you know, very obvious what was going to happen next with each scene. Sebastian was really the only character that kept me truly interested in this one. Um, you know, all the adventures that, that he gets in and all the shenanigans. Um, like we were basically saying before, it's it's a repeat of the first film, a lot of what happens, but of, of lower quality. Um, like I said, my favorite part is the music. So um, that being said, the actual storyline, I'm going to go with the two on this one. Because I believe I gave the original Little Mermaid a five, since it is my all-time favorite. Um, yeah, I, I was very disappointed in this one in comparison. So, yeah, two. All right. There you have it. I think we're all in the uh, between one and a half and two. So uh, that kind of tells you where things stand with uh, the Little Mermaid two. Uh, return to the sea. All right, so that's that's our opinion. If you agree with us, disagree with us, or just want to be heard, uh, make sure you go over to the show notes at DisneyFilmProject.com, and you can leave a comment there. You can uh, send us a note on Twitter, at DizFilmProject, and let us know what you guys think. You can always, of course, find us on Facebook. Uh, we're Disney Film Project there, and you can email us, um, DisneyFilmProject at gmail.com. Let us know what's going on. All right. Uh, I want to thank Bree for joining us again. Welcome back. Thank you so much. I, I had a great time being back. So thank you for inviting me back. I, I assume you'll be back for Ariel's beginning when we do that in like four years. Um, absolutely. But I hope I'm back before then. Yes, for sure. Uh, and so make sure that you guys out there who are listening to the show, um, if you're listening to us on iTunes, go leave a review. Um, you can find us also on Stitcher. You can find us on Diz Dad's Radio. So uh, go and check out all the places you can listen, leave reviews, tell your friends. That's always helpful as well. So if you could do that, that we would appreciate it. Um, so until next week then, for Brianna uh, and for Rachel and Todd and Cheryl, I'm Ryan, and we will see you again soon. Ta-da! Ta-da! The, the Whittle Mermaid 2. It's your fault we had to hide out here for 12 frostbitten years. So what's going to be a lifetime of worms or two minutes as heroes? Do I have to do this? Everybody thinks I'm weird. A crab my age should be retired, getting a tan, playing seagull, sipping a tuna colada. One minute you're on top, the next you're sushi. And I asked you, Gramps, is that fair? Thank you.